0: Well, good morning, Church. Good morning. Happy Reformation Day uh, to all of you and or weekend, I guess. It's at, um, the 31st. Um, but yes, what a weekend it's been as the world is celebrating Halloween. Here we are, celebrating the Reformation. It's beautiful. It really is beautiful. And last night was wonderful to worship, even this morning, singing the solas. Uh, I can't tell you how much I was touched and blessed to remember these precious truth. Um, you know, Reformation Sunday has always been a great encouragement to me, and I want to tell you why, because um, our church, whether it's SCF that started in 1992, or Kenmure Baptist Church which started in 1945, as I just looked on the, on the, on the, uh, on the wall in the plaque, um, actually our churches didn't start then. It didn't start then. In fact, our Protestant-Baptist faith dates all the way back to those Reformers, right, in the 15th century, who, who were reclaiming truths that were even further back, right? Truths that came right from the beginning, out of the pages of God's Word. And so what a heritage we have, church. Isn't that encouraging to you? The heritage of faith that we have this morning. Well, we are continuing our series in the Gospel of John, as you heard read. So if you haven't already, um, please turn there in your Bibles. We're in John chapter 10. Um, if you can believe it, we're, we've gotten to John chapter 10. And, um, and last Sunday, Pastor Dave was here. You remember this. And, and uh, he walked us through verses 22 to 30, right? Everyone with me? 22 to 30. Um, And if you're a believer this morning, I think, I'm sure you can join me in saying how blessed we are to have Jesus as our good shepherd. Amen? Amen? Amen. To be part of his fold. Just think about it. To be his sheep. Right. The fact that you can even hear his voice. Right? I mean, many do not. Many do not. This is what we learned last Last Sunday, to, to be able to follow him, right? To, to be known by him, to, to have eternal life, never to perish. You remember the picture that, that Pastor Dave posted of, of, of the Father's hand and the Son's hand and you being secure within that? I mean, I got to tell you, church, this past week, as I was considering everything that um, was taught to us, I, re- I couldn't help but wonder, why me? Have you ever thought that way? anyone? Why me? Why you? Like, like, what did sinners like you and I do to ever deserve all that we have? To which the reformers would reply, nothing. Right? Nothing but by the grace of God alone. Grace and grace alone. Amen? Amen by grace. And yet this morning, as we look around this room, um, or even if you go to any local church across the world, gathering this morning, this Sunday morning, we cannot be naive to think that everyone who gathers in a church is truly sheep, that they are truly sheep of the Good Shepherd. We can't, we, we can't be naive. Why do I say that? Because, because the truth is, not everyone who gathers in a local church really believes that Jesus is God. There are many reasons people come to church, right? Some are dragged, as we heard earlier, <laughs> right? There are many reasons people may gather. They may have other false notions about what they think the church is going to do for them. Not everyone believes that Jesus is God, and, and, and I think we need to recognize this church. The the claims that Jesus made, when he comes in and says, I am God, that's not an easy claim to believe. That's not an easy claim to believe, is it? I I just want you to picture this for a moment, okay? Someone were to walk in through those doors and enter this sanctuary, and if that person walked in and started claiming that they were God, be honest. What What would you do? You'd be concerned for his mental health, right? Or worse. Or worse, a man claiming to be God. Like, how could any sensible person believe that? Right? How could any sensible, how could anyone believe that? Well, so it was on that winter day in the temple in Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago. With just three months before his own crucifixion, here was Jesus once again appealing to the people. Right? Right? He's appealing, to the, he's appealing to them to believe that he really was God. That's the conversation that we've been following, right? From last Sunday to this Sunday. And that's where we left off last Sunday. If you look at verse 30, please. Verse 30 in your Bibles of, of chapter 10, John 10. Here's the claim. This is what Jesus declares. I and the Father are what? What? one. It's unmistakable, right? There's no way you can, you, can, you can miss what he's really implying. He is claiming to be God. I and the Father are one. It was unmistakable, undeniable, and the Jews had heard enough. I mean, this was the height of evil, right? This is evil. Like, like, the audacity you have to claim that you are God? That's how they saw him. To call it was blasphemy of God's name, and do you know what? It was a sin worthy of death. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16. It was a sin worthy of death. In fact, the Jews were called to stone such a person if they were to blaspheme the name of the Lord that way. And so, for the third time, count it the third time in John's gospel, the people pick up stones. Verse 31 they pick up stones to stone him to death, to stone Jesus to death. And it is in the face of this emotionally charged scene. You can picture it, right? Okay, so there are people, there's this angry, hostile crowd, they're holding the stones in their hand, and it's in the face of this emotionally charged scene that Jesus answers. Look at verse 32, he says, "'I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? Okay. For which of them are you going to stone me? And I, have to be honest with you, when I first read this verse, um, I thought to myself, like, Jesus, you're changing the subject, <laughs> right? I, you, you remember this is a conversation right? Between Jesus and the Jews. And the Jews were struggling to believe his what? His words. His words, right? His, his claim to be God. They're struggling. They even have stones in their hands to kill him. And instead of addressing their concerns about his words, what does Jesus do? He changes the subject to what? His His works. His works. Do you see that? Verse 32, which of my works, for which of them are you going to stone me? Changing the subject. At least that's what I thought. But as I read and reread verse 32, and maybe as you're reading it now, verse 32, as you read that carefully, I realized actually I was wrong. He's not changing the subject, but rather he's actually trying to help these people believe his words. He's actually trying to help them believe his words. I don't know if you, you, you can see that. Why do I say that? How is he helping them? By posing a question that causes the people to stop. Right? The question he poses is meant to cause them to stop and think for a moment. Right? To think. A question that forces them to go beyond his words to remember his what? His works. The many good works he had done, right? Works of the Father he had done before their eyes. Wonders which only God could do. Right? He's making them remember the miracles which nature could not explain. The signs he did which proved his words. Which proved... That he was who he claimed to be. Do you see that, church? The wisdom and the grace of Jesus in that question. Right? It's a leading question. Have you ever watched law legal dramas? It's a leading question, right? It's a leading question. But the Jews did not follow. Look at verse 33. Look at verse 33. They answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone They're not even thinking about what he just said, right? You know when, you're, when you've made up your mind and, and you're not even listening? really. Like, it's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for what? Blasphemy. For blasphemy. Now, what is, what is blasphemy? Theologians um, define blasphemy this way. Blasphemy is a defiant irreverence towards the holy God. That's what blasphemy is, okay? It is is basically intentionally and openly speaking evil against God. That's blasphemy. It's mocking God, defaming God, denouncing God, and ultimately rejecting God. That is blasphemy. And I don't know about you, church, but as you read that or you hear that definition, um, do you not tremble for the people in your life? Do any names come to mind? friends, co-workers, neighbors, who day after day, without a shred of remorse, do this. They do this. Blaspheming God. As I showed you from Leviticus, it it was an evil worthy of death. And this is how the Jews saw Jesus. Okay? This is how they saw them. Look at verse 33 again. What do they say? They said, You being a man, a mere man, You make yourself what? God. Right? You, being a man, make yourself God. You're a blasphemer. Well, we have to acknowledge they were right about one thing. What were they right about? That Jesus was truly man. Right? He was truly man. They were right about that. But what these crowds did not recognize and what so many people in our world today do not recognize and what I hope and pray that you and I this morning will not fail to recognize and not miss this morning is, hear me, Jesus was not a man who made himself God. He was God who made himself man, right? He was truly God, the true God, who made himself man. This is who Jesus was, who, who emptied himself. The God who humbly took on the form of a servant, born in the likeness of man. Why? Why? So that he could die in our place. He wasn't a man who made him. No, he was God who made himself man for us. For us what theologians call the incarnation right the incarnation it's what the rest of us simply call christmas (laughs) but um anyways you see friends um the sin of blasphemy did occur that day in the temple okay in that conversation between jesus and those people blasphemy did occur but it wasn't jesus who was it the people it was the people who were blaspheming the holy God who was standing right in front of them. You know what? You want the proof? The stones in their hand. The stones in their hands were proof of their defiant irreverence and rejection of the holy God who stood before them. It was them. It was they who were committing the blasphemy. look at the mercy of mercy of Jesus he overlooks their blasphemy and he knows that these people they're still struggling with his words right they're still struggling with the claim that he was God and so in starting in verse 34 Jesus is going to now show them why it is right for him to be called by the title God. Okay? why it is, it is right. In fact, it is most appropriate and fitting for him to have that title of God. And this argument that we're about to read, I don't know, as, as, as Brother Albert read, I don't know if any of you were like, what is going on here? Anyone? You can be honest. No, everyone here, knew, right? Okay. I, I got to be honest. It, it, is, it is a remarkable argument, but it's complex. It's very complex, and so let's take it verse by verse. Okay, look at your Bibles at verse 34, and we'll slowly lay this out. So Jesus answers them. Here's what he says. He says, is, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? Okay, I said you are gods, lowercase, lowercase g. You see it there? I said you are God's. Now, what is Jesus talking about? Um, If you look at the cross-references in your Bible, the cross-references for verse 34, you will see that Jesus is actually, this is a quote. Everyone know that, right? This is a quote. This is a quote from a verse that is actually buried in an obscure psalm in the Old Testament. Okay, it's not even a psalm of David, okay? This is a psalm of Asaph all right? Buried deep in the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 82 and verse 6, okay? So, 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 so what is that Psalm about? So Psalm 82 is actually about God rebuking Israel's judges. Are you with me so far? Okay, You know, Israel was a nation. They had judges. These judges were supposed to uphold justice, right? That's what a judge is supposed to do. The judge was supposed to ensure fairness for the people, right? But as we learn in Psalm 82, the judges in Israel were nothing like that. What were they doing? They were actually unjust. That's what we learn in Psalm 82. They were corrupt. They were showing partiality to the wicked, like favoritism. That's that's who they were. So that's what Psalm 82 is about. And I know what you're wondering, what does it have to do with Jesus, right? What does that have to do with Jesus' claim to be God? Well, in verse 6 of Psalm 82, as part of his rebuke of those judges, those, the, the, the human judges, human judges in Israel, um, God calls these judges gods, lo- lowercase g, okay? Gods, plural, He actually applies the word God to these men, okay? these corrupt, unjust judges. And why? Because actually Israel's judges were supposed to be representatives of God. They were supposed to be like God to the people, right? Upholding justice and fairness. And so in some sense, in fact, these men were as gods, lowercase g, to the people. Okay? So here's, so with that in mind, here's Jesus' argument. Okay, here's the argument. Look at verse 35. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came... And scripture cannot be broken. Like, if that's true, if, if in some lesser sense, those sinful men could be called by the title God in the Old Testament, here's the argument, verse 36, how much more should this title be applied to the Son of God? Do do, do you see what he's saying? This is an argument from the lesser to the greater, right? If if these corrupt judges in Psalm 82 can in some far lesser sense be called God, how much more fitting, how much more rightful is it for us to apply that title to the true Son of God, the Son of God whom the Father has sent into the world. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see what he's saying? How could anyone object to the very Son of God claiming that title for himself? Claiming that title for himself. Remarkable, isn't it, church? I don't know if you realize this, but um, Jesus just based his entire argument on one word. Right? Right? the word gods, one word buried in Psalm 82 in the middle of the Old Testament, some obscure psalm that is a little-known psalm. He based his entire argument for his deity, his, him being called the Son of God, on that one word. What am I saying? What's the lesson to us? Here's, here's, if you ever wondered what's how Jesus saw the Bible, how Jesus saw the Scriptures, don't look any further. Verse 35, he says, Scripture cannot be what? broken. This is how Jesus viewed the Bible, how he viewed the Old Testament. That word broken means it cannot be loosed, it cannot be dissolved, it cannot be done away with, the the scriptures cannot be um, annulled or untied. Every word in this Bible carries absolute truth and authority. That's what he means. Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from this law, until all is accomplished. That was Jesus' view of the Scriptures. That was His view. You know, church, I have to be honest, between preparing for this sermon and and, um, the Acts Bible study this past Thursday, um, you remember, those of you who were there, we searched the Old Testament. Remember? We searched the Old Testament to try to find verses to prove, you know, that Jesus... Was, was supposed to suffer, that he was supposed to rise from the dead. Between those, and I was so encouraged, let me be honest, I was encouraged by all of you, the way you brought examples from the Old Testament, the way you were able to search, and, but also I was so convicted, like how much we neglect the Old Testament, right? How much we neglect the Old Testament for the new. But Scripture cannot be broken, it cannot be broken. Ask me to recite John 3.16, no problem. Ask me to tell you about Psalm 82. Be honest, is that the first time you've heard that psalm? That verse? Yeah. Lord is my shepherd? No, that's not it. No, no. (laughs) Psalm 82. Jokes aside, God help us, right? God help us to view the scriptures the way Jesus did. The way Jesus did to live according to scripture and scripture alone. Which brings us to verse 37. Turn there to verse 37, please. And um, despite, so despite everything Jesus has said he, said, he gave the argument, they're still not convinced, they don't believe his words, right? And so just like he did in verse 32 when he posed that question to them, right? Which of my works are you, going, are you stoning me for? Once again, Jesus turns their attention to his... What? To his works to his works look at verse 37 he says if i am not doing the works of my father don't believe me don't that's that's a challenge is it not that is a challenge jesus is posing that's a bold challenge he's posing right can we just say for a moment like there are so many religions out there right There's so many religions in the world that are vying for your faith. There's so many different worldviews, right? There's so many different opinions saying different things. So the question is, how do you determine which one is true, if any of them are true at all? How do you determine that? Well, Jesus makes it easy. He says to you, if I'm not doing the works of God, don't even believe me. Don't believe me. That's what he says. Any fool or demon could walk into this room claiming to be God, right? It's true. Any fool or demon, as C.S. Lewis termed it, could walk into this room claiming to be God. But, verse 38, if I do the works of God, verse 38, if I do them, even if you don't believe what I'm saying, even if you don't believe my claims or my words, believe what? The Works. Believe the works. Friends, the works recorded in four gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Eyewitness accounts preserved for us 2,000 years later by more manuscripts than any other record in human history. Even if you struggle to believe the words of Jesus, He's saying, He's challenging you. Believe the works. Water turned into wine. That's where it began, right? John John 2. Water turned into wine. Thousands upon thousands fed with a few loaves and fish. The wind, the stormy wind and the sea calmed at the sound of his voice. He walked on water. What about the official's son? Peter's mother-in-law, the centurion's servant, the bleeding woman who touched the, the, the hem of his garment, the lepers who were cleansed, the paralytic who took up his bed, the crippled person who walked, the withered hand that was restored, the severed ear that was replaced, the blind who now saw, the mute who could now speak, the deaf who could hear, the oppressed who were freed, the demons who were cast into pigs, the dead widow's son, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, all of them raised to life before the greatest work of all, his own resurrection from the dead three days after he was crucified on a cross for our sin. This is what it boils down to, church. This is what, skeptic among you, skeptic, you're here this morning or you're watching online. This is what what it boils down to. Are you ready? Are you really ready? Are you prepared to call all of these works the work of a mere man? That's, That's what you have to do. That's what. You, if you are ready to dismiss the Christ of Christianity, you have to be ready to dismiss all of those works as the work of a mere man. Are you? Or were the reformers right when they concluded that all the glory belongs to God? That this was not a man. That the glory of those miracles points us to who? God, to God indeed. This is how we know Jesus was God. You know, church, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come in here and just say some words and expect you to believe, right? He didn't just tell you to believe him based on his words. What did he do? He gave you works upon works upon works to prove his words. This is how we know. Look at verse 38. If you read it carefully, the second part, how do you know that Jesus is God. This is it. That you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. That they're one. This is how you know Jesus is God. Right? That, That word know, it actually means to know and to continue knowing. Okay? So I'm not just talking to New unbelievers becoming Christians, right? I'm talking to even the Christians in the room. How do you continue to believe that Jesus is God? You remember his works. You remember what he has done. What he has done that has shown time and time again that he is who he claimed to be. How many of you here wish you could see God? Don't raise your hand. Uh, (laughs) I hope it's many of you. You We do, right? Don't you, even if it's, it may be a longing, it may be a desire, it may even be a curiosity, right? To want to see God, to see the Father, don't you long to see Him? But do you not know that when you see Jesus, you are seeing God? You are. I think we forget that sometimes. Jesus is God. When you see Jesus, you see God. That's what John 1, 18, uh, 1, chapter, uh, chapter one, verse 18, tells us we covered this uh, about 10 months ago, uh, John 1:18. "No one has ever seen God, right? No one has ever seen God, but the only God, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, He has made God the Father, known to us. That's how you know God, church. That's how you know God, through Christ and Christ alone. This is the uniqueness of Jesus, right? Just like our brother Keith said from the worship, from the worship team, you know, there's so many religions, there's so many worldviews. What is it that sets Jesus apart? This is the uniqueness, that it is Christ through Christ and Christ alone that you and I can know the Father. You can't know God any other way. There's no other way to know God. No one has seen God except Jesus and he has chosen to make God known to us. The one and only way. Well, as it turns out, we're coming to the end here. Um, Sadly, look at verse 39. Sadly, Christ's appeal to to the Jews fell on deaf ears and dead hearts. Right? Deaf ears, dead hearts. Why do I say that? Because... Once again, verse 39, they sought to arrest him. Right? Ongoing blasphemy, isn't it? Isn't it blasphemy to try to arrest the holy God? (laughs) Ongoing blasphemy. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He escaped from their hands. Well, I'm very thankful that... um, the message doesn't end there. I'm not sure if you're thankful. Maybe you want it to end here. But I'm, I'm thankful, okay, that the message doesn't end there. Because as John closes chapter 10, he shows us one other group of people, okay, one other group of people who encountered the words and the works of Jesus. And this is how, we're, how, this is how the passage ends. Take a look at verse 40, please. Take verse 40. Jesus went away again across the Jordan to the place where John the Baptist had been baptizing at first. We haven't talked about John the Baptist in a while, right? I think the last time we talked about it was John 3. It's been a while. We're at John 10, um, where John the Baptist had been baptized at the first. And there Jesus remained. Verse 41, And many came to him, and look at what they said. They said, John did no sign, but everything John said about this man was what? Was true was true. And here's the outcome, verse 42. And many believed in him there. Many believed in him there. If you're keeping count of the Easter eggs, um, the final sola of the Reformation is faith. Faith and faith alone, right? They believed. This, these were the true sheep. The Jews were not. They rejected. Here were the true sheep being gathered by the Good Shepherd. Here's how I want to close. I want to give an encouragement to both the believers and the unbelievers here. Okay, First to the believers. I was so encouraged by this passage because you know what? I don't know if you know this, but at the time of this passage, this, these last few verses, did you know that John the Baptist had been dead? He, like he'd been long dead. He was beheaded. Right? He, he, he had been long dead, long before he ever saw the people he ministered to come to faith. He was dead. He never saw it with his own eyes. And there were no podcasts, right? There were no um, YouTube links or, or MP3s for the people to you know, replay and remember, oh yeah, this is what John the Baptist said. They never had any of that. But isn't it encouraging to you, church, to see that even though they didn't have any of that, they still remembered his words right? Those people across the Jordan, they still remembered what John said, the truth he shared with them about Jesus long after he was dead and gone. What's my point? To Pastor Ronald, Pastor Dale, Pastor Dave, um, to those of you who serve in ministry, um, even to you who, as sheep, you are sharing the gospel with your loved ones, right? You're sharing the gospel with your friends and your neighbors, and maybe you're feeling discouraged, right? Because you haven't seen any fruit. They're rejecting, they're not listening, they're not wanting to come to, come to faith in Christ, and you're getting dejected, and you're getting um, uh, discouraged. And here's what I want to tell you, let us not lose heart, because you may close your eyes before you see any fruit of your ministry, but those people may still believe. They may yet believe. Isn't that encouraging, church? Isn't that encouraging? grace faith christ scripture glory what precious truths right for us to remember this reformation day and so that's to the believers now to the unbelievers okay i always like to give an encouragement to the unbelievers who are here i know there are some of you here and maybe watching online who are struggling to believe that jesus is god right let's be real that that i mean that that's that that's very some people are struggling with that To believe Christ's claims, to believe His words, and to believe His works. But perhaps, as we've been going through this text, God has been showing you that, in fact, you are just like the Jews, holding stones against Christ. Perhaps this morning you realize that it is you who have been blaspheming God all these years. Blaspheming Him. I'm not not talking about using His name in vain, okay? That is a part of it, but, but rejecting Him. Rejection of Him. Denouncing and rejecting Christ. If that's you, if you realize that this morning, I want to tell you something. There is hope for you. There is still hope for you. I want to show you this as we close. Matthew 12. Jesus says this. It's such a precious truth. He says, therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. Just pause there. Every sin and blasphemy you have committed against Christ will be forgiven if you look at verse 32, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Even these Jews, for all the evil they spoke about Jesus, could have still been forgiven. Isn't that amazing? The grace and mercy of God, right? To extend it to the Jews for the way they, tr- they treated Christ. But there is something that will never, ever, ever be forgiven. Okay? I remember growing up early in my faith as a Christian, I was told about this unforgivable sin. Anyone remember this? The first time you realized there was an unforgivable sin in the Bible? And um, what did you think? Oh, have I committed it, right? Have I done this? Am I, am I not gonna be, what's the point of any of this anymore? Because I've committed the unforgivable. Let me tell you something. The unforgivable sin is no, is, is no sin that you commit against Christ. No sin against Christ um, cannot be forgiven. It is a sin against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a sin that will never be forgiven, not in this age, not in the one to come. Okay, What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? It means that if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, even right now, If the Spirit is convicting you right now that Jesus, that the the, the truth about Jesus, if he is calling you to repent and to believe, and if you choose, after understanding and hearing that, if the Spirit has given that revelation to you, and you still choose to reject the Spirit, that will never, ever, because that is the last line. That's the last line of defense. That's the last option you have. If you finally reject the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness that remains. You can reject Christ for a time, but when the Spirit comes and speaks to your heart and says, this is who He is, He is God, and you willfully choose to reject that, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. And so let me assure you, church, if you're a true sheep this morning, this is not a sin you and I could ever, ever commit. Can I say that? Okay? If you're a true believer this morning, you believe in Jesus as God, this is not a sin um, that you will ever, 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 ever commit. In fact, um, the people who are going to commit this sin are probably not the people who are worried about this sin. Really, right? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so today, dear church, family, and friends, if you hear his voice, I love how you closed the worship night last night. Hebrews 3, verse 15, right? If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't harden your heart. You know, it's possible to harden your heart. Hearing his voice and being unwilling to repent and believe. Worship team, if you can come. And um, church, if you can stand. And let us close um, close this morning in prayer. Father God, I just, um, I thank you for this conversation that we were able to listen in on between Jesus and the Jews. And Father, it has brought to light so many lessons for us, but but above all, Father, that if we struggle to believe your words, help us to begin by believing your works, the works that you have done, which are proof, which prove without a shadow of doubt that you are who you said you are. You are God in flesh. Father, um. Many of us as believers, we have committed sins against Christ over and over again. Even today, this weekend, we marvel at your grace, your forgiveness, your willingness to extend that grace to us again and again so that where sin increases, your grace is increasing all the more. Thank you. But for those who don't yet believe, who are struggling, believe your claims I pray oh God that you would speak to them speak to them by your spirit and when the Spirit speaks to them I pray oh God that they would not harden their hearts but that they would repent and believe and be saved and be saved you didn't ask us to become scholars you didn't ask us to do good works father What you require of us is faith and faith alone. Simple faith in the work that Christ has already accomplished. So help us, oh God. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.